0: reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What up, listener? We wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this Blue Wire podcast. Be sure to show your support to this pod by subscribing and dropping a five-star review on iTunes, a follow on Spotify, or the appropriate dap for any other platform you might be listening on. And if you're enjoying this show, chances are you'll like one of our 75 other sports podcasts. Find more shows you'll love at BlueWirePods.com. Thanks again for listening. And now back to your regularly scheduled podcast. Golden Edge Podcast is sponsored
1: by STN Sports from Station Casinos. STN Sports is the only sports betting app you need this season. Sign up today and get a new sign-up bonus of up to $50.
2: What is up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in once again. Another edition of the Golden Edge Podcast, where we'll let you know everything that's going on with the Golden Knights. The Review Journal Hockey Staff, the Golden Edge crew, lets you Take a sneak peek behind the scenes of what is going on with the Knights, and uh, right now Ben Goetz is up in Minnesota, so we'll get to him in just a second, kind of the debacle that happened uh, with the Wild yesterday on that quick one-game road trip, uh, but first, thanks you guys for tuning in. Make sure you like, subscribe, share everything you do with the podcast wherever you find us, and also don't forget uh, that the podcast, as always, is brought to you by STN Sports Mobile from Station Casinos and presented by Untucket. Ben, you got to go home to Minnesota, so I'm sure that was pleasurable, but it was not a very good trip for the Golden Knights. The quick one-game road trip after uh, the one-game homestand that followed that long road trip. Uh, so a bit of a weird scheduling spot, but I don't think you can blame that on what happened last night. Just what went wrong with the Golden Knights? Uh, is
1: everything an appropriate response? Sure. I mean, clearly the Golden Knights were not as excited to get uh here to 20 degree weather as i was you know it was good to get a little winter in the bones you know feel the freezing temps for just a little bit you know what uh, th- th-
2: thanks for saying that and i'll stop it and say i didn't really say how are you doing so how how are you doing
1: oh, i'm doing great adam you know it's <laughs> good to visit the homeland for a little bit see the old haunts and whatnot <laughs> uh you know, see the ex i've uh you know, been around that arena a lot growing up as a kid, and the Minnesota State High School Hockey <laughs> Tournament is there, so I've visited it uh, very frequently. It was my second time back as a professional, but <laughs> it was not a very professional contest. Yeah. That's a nice segue. Good job. Uh, that the Knights put on last night. They just, I mean, frankly, I mean, Mark Stone even said it. I'm not even just saying this myself. A bunch of guys just basically didn't show up last night. It was quite jarring to see the Golden Knights, who that was, you know, as of now, they have 24 games left in the season. They're fighting for a playoff spot. They're still within easy striking distance of first place in the Pacific Division. And they just looked like they didn't care last night, which, as you mentioned, you get that it's a weird spot in the schedule. It's their ninth time playing on the road in 10 games. They were home just for like three days, as I was. Uh, between this four-game road trip after their bye and then this game. And now they're coming home for five straight games. So they might just be looking at that wild game and say, let's get through it. Let's just get home and then we'll figure it out from there. But if you look at who they got coming up on their schedule and that homestand and what the Minnesota Wild are currently at record-wise, especially considering that the Minnesota Wild the day before had traded Las Vegas raised winger Jason Zucker. That wild game is one that the Knights probably should look at and circle and say, we got to have this, but they did not have it. They were not close to having it. Their special teams were quite awful, which we can get into a little bit. Just their overall kind of defense in front of their net was not good. And offensively, they weren't, you know, doing the hockey cliche things such as going to the dirty areas. To try to score goals and when you add it all up, it just was a very disappointing performance for the Knights and one that, you know, we say that maybe should cause them to look in the mirror, but this is now, you know, the fourth or fifth time we're saying that about this team and this is now the second coach, which we are saying this team should do that under so it's. It's kind of an interesting pattern that's emerging there.
2: Yeah, for sure. And, and I, w- I was interested in, and in we're going to talk about Pete DeBoer a lot uh, later on with Dave Shane, who had a, a nice little sit down with him the other day, but just from a, you know, a standpoint of last night, a one-off spot, that was the first real stinker of a game that he's kind of been a part of. Uh, how, how was his assessment after the game? Yeah, he was,
1: you know, pretty calm and measured as you would expect, uh, you know, most coaches are because they're a little bit more detached and as you said I think it's a lot different coming from him a guy who as you said and I think that's totally fair to say that that was the first real dud the Knights have authored under him and to also be fair to them I thought they've played for the most part really good hockey coming off their bye week they obviously lost to the Tampa Bay Lightning in Tampa but I thought that was the game where the Knights arguably outplayed the Lightning there was no shame in losing that game they lost in a shootout to the Carolina hurricanes. I thought for the most part, they played well in that game. I don't think the goaltending was great, but you certainly couldn't fault the Knights' effort for that. So I think maybe Pete DeBoer was looking at it and saying, Hey, this is the first real dud we've had in nine games of my tenure. Like I'm okay with that ratio We're seemed like the Knights and especially, like I said, Mark stone were perturbed that this was not the first time that they have seen it, that this is, Now, multiple times in games this season where players in the locker room have had to kind of stand up and basically say, like, we didn't show up. And so it was interesting to kind of see that contrast where DeBoer was a lot more calm and measured because I think he hasn't quite been through the frustrations of this team all season, whereas the players, you know, I said, uh, Mark Stone, Riley Smith had some pointed comments about the team's. Power play. Nate Schmidt was obviously disappointed in his play and kind of the whole entire decourse play in front of Marc Andre Fleury. There was definitely a lot more frustration in the locker room.
2: So one of the things that he did say, uh, and you kind of alluded to it, that they're too soft in front of the net. I mean, that that's not that's kind of an indictment on what they've got. I mean, that means they obviously have to step up and and be tougher and and grind out those, you know, their area, uh, stake their claim there. But at the same time, it's also maybe an indication that he's not happy with the, the personnel that they have. What what was kind of your read on where that comment was headed?
1: Yeah, it's certainly interesting. I don't know if DeBoer was necessarily alluding to it. But, I mean, certainly my takeaway from watching that game is we are in the time of the season. I mean, as we are talking right now, we are literally two weeks from the NHL trade deadline. Where When you point out an obvious roster deficiency, in this case, the Knights might not be tough enough in front of their own net. Uh, there's a fairly easy solution to that. Whether the Knights want to exercise that solution is up to them. But if they want to get tougher in front of their own net, there's options available on the open market for them to trade assets to get one. If they want to get a Brendan Dillon from Peter DeBoer's old team, the San Jose Sharks, they can do that. They think Alec Martinez of Los Angeles Kings is going to be a little bit better in front of the net. They can go grab him. There's obviously a ton of guys, Sammy Vontanen from the New Jersey devils. So that certainly seemed interesting to me last night. Like I said, I don't think DeBoer is necessarily calling for it, but if you look back at some of those goals and you have Nick Holden and John Merrill as your two defensemen on the penalty kill, and you know, they're just not getting it done in front of the net on one of those goals. I mean, I think it's pretty easy if you're Peter Devore to kind of look at that and dream on it and say, I need someone else in that spot especially because, you know, it's not just last night, but I think you could put a lot of their issues on the penalty kill on that. They've been really, really bad the last four games on the penalty kill, despite starting really good there under Peter DeBoer. are seven of their last 13, which is just, I mean, atrocious. So they need something to change there. I mean, that's one thing where I know we talked about last week about how Zach Whitecloud has kind of, you know, sent Derek England off to the pastures, but I'm sure Derek England was up there in the XL energy press box last night saying, yeah, that's why I was in the lineup is that I get the job done right there. That maybe the Knights don't have that guy that's going to push people around like England will in front of the net. And that's one reason why they're letting in some of those goals. And they've been so porous on the PK. That's not to say that England's, you know, the savior and that putting him back in a lineup is going to be like some white knight situation, but certainly they could maybe use, a younger version of him right now.
2: How much do you tri- attribute that maybe to, you know, they are kind of learning a new system in terms of, of the special teams and, and DeBoer hasn't changed a whole lot necessarily uh, X's and O's wise, but one of the things that they are you know trying to do is some different things on special teams and maybe that's just an adjustment process or maybe it's just a glaring weakness. I mean, it's it's tough to figure out in a short sample size, but that could be part of the process, right?
1: Oh, I totally think that could be part of the process. But at the same time, this is what the Knights – Signed up for when they kind of pointed to Gerard Gallant and they said that's the guy that needs to change. You set yourself up for I think you could say almost unrealistic expectations when it comes to the kind of turnaround that this team wants to make. I think we all knew it was going to be hard for this team to keep winning, especially with the fact that they had that road-heavy schedule to start under DeBoer. Now they have a home stand, but even that, because of the opponents that they're playing in said home stand, doesn't feel like a huge advantage. We knew it was going to be tough for them to scrape out points while also learning some new systems. But, like I said, that's what the direction that management decided to go down when they fired Gerard Glant. And so they knew that they couldn't afford growing pains. And it kind of does seem like that's what they're going through right now. They're four, three, and two under Peter DeBoer, which, you know, it's not horrible, but it's not great. And it's probably not what you were hoping for when you hired the guy that he was going to lead you to one game under 500 during this stretch so we'll see you know I certainly think as you said that the that process is a part of it but the Knights knew when they made this change that they had to speed up the process and that the process couldn't be an excuse because they're looking to get results and so you know it's kind of a real awkward thing they're trying to fight through right now.
2: Well, a big decision was made by Pete DeBoer in, in pulling Marc-Andre Fleury uh, after the four goals in the first two periods last night. Uh, part of a, a bigger picture goaltending question, uh, obviously, but last night, what did you make of that decision to uh, to pull Marc-Andre Fleury, who started, what, 15 of the last 17? Uh, they're working him almost every night, and last night didn't go well, and they, they got him some rest, but maybe two periods too late.
1: Yeah, no, it's an interesting... I mean, points you bring up. I mean, first of all, last night, I think, is totally not on Marc-Andre Fleury. We talked about the Knights kind of losing the net front battle. Three of the Wilds' goals traveled about a foot to get in front of the net. So those are extremely difficult for any goaltender to stop, let alone you know a Hall of Fame level one that Marc-Andre Fleury is. But it was certainly interesting that he started the game in net. I was talking with our colleague, you mentioned Dave Shane, about this. Before leaving for Minnesota, and we kind of talked about, oh man, like the Wild are just one of those teams that Flurry hasn't played well against. And like I said last night, I thought he actually kind of reversed that narrative because he played well, just didn't get the result. We're like, maybe this is a time that you know Malcolm Subin gets a look because it's been a while. But nope, Mark Andre Flurry leads the Knights out of the bench onto the ice for warmups, and he makes his eighth start in nine games under Peter DeBoer, which is certainly interesting because. The comments that DeBoer made before the game sure seem to echo a lot of what we heard from Gerard Galant last year, which is we're chasing points in the standings right now. We're in a tight race. So we're going to go with the guy that gives us the best chance to win every night, which in DeBoer's mind, and I think definitely in Galland's mind, was Marc-Andre Fleury. Whether that is a smart strategy for a 35-year-old goaltender who is already not having One of his better seasons is certainly up for debate. I mean, Marc-Andre Fleury's numbers are kind of down below his career norms across the board. He's obviously dealt with a lot this year, you know, emotionally kind of with his family and, of course, the death of his father. But at the same time, you know, when he's been out there and especially post this bye week, there's been a lot of games where he just hasn't quite been on. As I kind of alluded to earlier, I thought the Carolina game before this one was one where he wasn't quite on, and I thought that might provide a pretty easy excuse for DeBoer to say, you know what, you've played a lot. Let's get you a rest. We'll have Subban go against the Wild, and we think that we can grind out a couple points with him there. If you don't think that, if you're Pete DeBoer, if you think we have to go to Fleury, you know, on the road against kind of a scuffling Minnesota Wild team that's already trading some of its best players, You know, when do you go to Malcolm Subban? How much time does Malcolm Subban see on this road trip, which I've already mentioned, you know, has the St. Louis Blues, has the Washington Capitals, has the Tampa Bay Lightning. Are you going to now all of a sudden throw Malcolm Subban cold against any one of those teams? Uh, It's certainly interesting, and it seems to be setting the Knights up to kind of be all in on Marc-Andre Fleury the rest of the season, and that they're going to kind of ride or die on how he performs in net. Maybe DeBoer ends up changing his tune once the team goes home, but that was certainly my takeaway from last night.
2: And it goes both ways because I feel like Subban plays a lot better when he gets more time. And now when you do go to Subban and he hasn't played in a month, then he struggles and you're like, OK, well, that's a that's a wasted game. That It's such a it's such a tough thing to figure out, but that's something they're going to have to figure out at some point.
1: Yeah, like I don't pretend to be an expert in goalie rotation. I don't have, you know, the magic number of how much they should be playing Flurry versus how much they should be playing Suban. Like I said, it I just found it interesting that Debore basically when I asked him about that yesterday was like, yeah, that's out the window. Like we're, you know, at the time have 25 games left. We're in the middle of a playoff race. He's like, I'm not, you know, kind of sitting there with my whiteboard and, you know, drawing up an ideal number of starts for both guys. He's like, I'm just gonna go with the guy that I think gives us the best chance to win that game and we'll figure it out from there. Whether that works out, you know, in the long term for the golden Knights this season kind of remains to be seen. We certainly talked a lot about these same things last season when flurry think made 61 starts. And then ultimately I think it's fair to say he wasn't at his peak flurry form in the playoffs and the Knights to make a deep run probably need that kind of performance from Mark Andre flurry. We'll see whether he can kind of reverse that narrative this year, whether, like I said, maybe the board changes his tune later on and just decides, you know what, he needs more rest than I've been giving him. We'll kind of ease off. But for right now, it does appear that, like I said, the riding flurry hard plan is the one they're going with. And there's certainly, you know, debate as to whether that's the right decision.
2: We mentioned you're in Minnesota, you're back home, you uh, you have so many things to do before you get back here, and so we'll let you get out of here, but real quick before we do that, uh, William Carlson returned yesterday, how'd that go?
1: I just thought he looked really good, and it was notable that he got promoted up to the second line with Max Pacioretty and Mark Stone by the end of the second period. Now that happened because the Knights were down 4 nothing and looked completely listless, but it certainly was deserved. Carlson's speed was there, he was buzzing. I mean, Peter DeBoer said after the game that he might have been the Knights' best player last night. And then DeBoer followed that up by saying, yeah, that's a good thing for him, but a bad thing for us (laughs) because a guy that's been out for eight games probably shouldn't be our best player. So a lot of good for William Carlson, a lot of bad for the Golden Knights in Minnesota last night.
2: There you go, Ben. Uh, Not a whole lot of bad happens in Minnesota for you. You're a hometown kid. You're hashtag one of us. And so... Great, great work uh, covering the team back there, and uh, enjoy the rest of your trip, and we'll see you when you get back. Uh, great updates from, from the Golden Knights road trip. Yeah, thanks. Talk to you later. Yes, sir. All right, well, that is the perspective from Ben up in Minnesota. Uh, Dave Shane also on the beat, and uh, we'll catch up with him, uh, get his thoughts on the goalt- goaltending situation, and more importantly... Uh, He had a nice little sit down with Pete DeBoer the other day, learned some things that's going to be coming out uh, in the paper the next few days, Uh, but we'll get a sneak peek of that here on the Golden Edge Podcast. Ever see an untucked button-down shirt? They look bad. Why? Because they weren't meant to be worn that way. Thankfully, there's Untuck It, the original button-down shirt actually designed to be worn untucked. No matter your size or shape, Untuck It shirts always fall at the perfect untucked length. With more than 50 fit combinations, Untuckit shirts look great on tall, short, slim, even athletic guys like me, they look great. Choose from styles like wrinkle-free button-downs, super soft flannels, outerwear, and more. With Untuckit, your shirts will never look baggy, bulgy, too long, or too big again. And their website is so easy to use. They even have a whole page devoted to helping you find your fit. So whether you're shopping for the perfect gift or just trying to craft a smart, relaxed style of your own, Untuck It is the way to go. Visit untuckit.com and use code BLUE for 20% off at checkout. That's untuckit.com, promo code BLUE for 20% off. We're back and we changed things up a little bit. We had Ben Goats from up in Minnesota where the Golden Knights got... I'll say trounced last night in a little bit of an ugly game against the Wild, uh 4 nothing loss uh, up in Minneapolis. Uh, now they come home for some tough, tough games, and we'll get into a little bit of that. But Dave Shane joins us from here in Las Vegas, uh, getting ready for the night's practice as we speak here uh, on Wednesday morning. What's, got, what's up, sir? How are you doing?
3: Hanging in, hanging in. Just working on uh, Peter DeBoer story here. Uh, mm-hmm. Took a little longer than I anticipated, so trying to get it done before the uh, the 1 o'clock practice here today and get on up to uh, City National.
2: Well, there you go. We certainly want to get into that and uh, what you learned from Peter DeBoer and kind of what people can look for uh, when that comes out. But we were talking about the goaltending situation. I actually talked to some fans yesterday that were like, I'm sick of hearing about the goalie situation. Well, it's kind of a big story and a developing story uh, with this team. Last night, Peter DeBoer makes the the choice – to pull Marc-Andre Fleury after two periods. A lot of people thought maybe he should get the whole game off. He gets 20 minutes off instead. Uh, What did you make of of not only last night of Fleury playing and getting pulled, but also just where the goaltender situation is right now as a whole?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty clear. You look at the numbers and, you know, it's a large enough sample size at this point that they're just not getting it done. They're not good enough. I, I don't know how to say it. Like, Without being ultra blunt, but that's just that's just kind of the reality now. A lot of it, and I thought Ben did a really good job explaining it in his story as usual. I thought they just did not play well in front of Flurry last night. I, I don't want to. I, I think it's hard to to assign blame on on those goals and things like that because there were guys just standing in front of Flurry, poking at rebounds, basically swatting you know one timers too much just. Uh, is Kelly McCrimmon and George McFee are looking at what they're going to do with the trade deadline and things like that. Last night had to be alarming to me. And then some of the comments that were made afterward about, you know, Peter Bohr saying they were too soft and all that kind of stuff. I'm sure you talked about with Ben, but some of that is, is they got to help the goaltenders out. And yeah, you'd like Flurry and and Subban to make, you know, a save here and there. and, And that hasn't happened enough lately, But some of it is is the folks in front. I mean, I've said this in the last couple of days and and things going forward. If they're going to do anything in the uh, playoffs, they have to get pretty hot. And I don't know the best way to do that right now because they're kind of running him into the ground and it hasn't really worked. They haven't gotten on a streak. They haven't been able to really get him going. And based on divorce comments yesterday, I don't want to take he's sketchy to put Malcolm Suban in there, but he definitely seems like he's saying, Look, we're in a dog fight, and mark Andre Fleury is a Hall of Fame goaltender. I'm gonna roll with him.
2: Yeah, and that's that seems to be where they're going. And then as I was pointing out with Ben, and we've talked about this a lot before, like Suban plays a lot better when he's getting regular time, and so not only do you go with Flurry too much and run him into the ground, but then you're not letting Subban ever get into a rhythm, but at the same time, if you do put them in just a game here and there, they feel like they're you know, not sacrificing games, but not giving themselves the best chance to win. It's, it's a tough spot uh, for them to be in right now, but I, I do want to go back to the too soft comment. We talked to Ben a little bit about this as well, but do you read a lot into that or not much? Ben was saying don't read too much into it, but to me, that's we need to make a lot of changes on defense, whether that's bringing somebody in or figuring something out better, but there, there definitely is a problem with the with the defensive core.
3: Yeah, I mean, I don't read too much into it in terms of like, oh, he's calling out his team when they're soft. And, you know, he, I mean, that. I think it's just using the word. I think he's just kind of whatever. But I think it's also telling that that's something that he's identified. And it seems to be something that in his, you know, months on the job, I guess, having that outside perspective and then coming in and seeing it and observing that that's something that stood out to him. So as they go forward and whether that, like I said, whether that's a trade deadline picks or, you know, some other solution, I think he's clearly looked at that and said, that's something that we need to fix. That's something that's an area that we, that we need to get better at. And you said the same thing basically about block shots. I mean, I don't want to say he called them out on it, but he was pretty blunt and, and he was not afraid to say, look, some guys are, are just not going to lay down, you know, and block shots. And, and it's like that on every team. But he's trying to find the commitment. He's trying to find, you know, some guys that will lay down for the cause here, I think. And and I, I feel like that's that's what we haven't seen enough of. Maybe that's what he hasn't seen enough of. And to some extent, I think maybe even that's what Mark Stone was alluding to with with his comments last night. You know, in terms of we've got 21, 22 guys in this locker room that that need to come together. Um, they need some kind of rallying point, a song, a Gloria, um, a T-shirt, some a moment, something, something that kind of galvanizes this group because because it just seems split right now.
2: So, there's a, lo- a lot of issues. We, we also talked with uh, Ben about the, the penalty kill really struggling and um, trying to figure out what to do there. You know, Derek England, maybe uh, five on five was costing. Maybe he was helping on the penalty kill. It's it's not, you know, clear exactly what the issues are. I think they're also trying to figure out, you know, the new systems and trying to implement them and it's a, it's a tough time, but they've got a, a tough schedule coming up here and, you know, we reference it with, yeah, you come home after all these road games, but, You've got Blues, Capitals, Lightning teams like that coming in. Uh, this needs to happen quick if if they're gonna find that galvanizing factor. Like something needs to change fairly quickly.
3: Right, and then let's go back to the issue of the goaltending here. It's starting Thursday. The Blues, the Islanders, the Capitals, the Lightning, the Panthers. Like, where do you fit Subban in there? That that you look at that and you say. Okay, we're giving him a chance. We're giving him a good spot. I mean, those are tough games where, on paper. You would probably look at all of them and go well we would we were playing flurry for for most, if not all of those well you know you're you're trying to make playoffs so again, it goes back to the issue of workload and how are they gonna manage all of this and 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 what's gonna sort of happen going forward I mean. It's it's tough. It's a tough balance, and and like you said, that whole argument of process versus results, and and what's more important here, and, and all that sort of stuff. And yeah, process is, is great, but right now it's about making the playoffs. They need points. They're you know, where are they at here? They're I guess what?
2: I think they're the f- first wild card.
3: You know, first wild card now. Yeah. I mean, everybody's at 64. I was busy last night, so I missed the, the Calgary result. Yeah. But, I, I mean, it's, you know, Max already said it at the All-Star game, that you know, in a matter of, like, two days or whatever, it seems like you can go from first to last in the playoff chase. So there has to be some urgency, and, and there has to be, you know, some understanding that, that whatever it's going to take, to get this across the finish line and then figure out you know what you need to do in April they need to find that commitment at this point I think that's the most important thing
2: well we did want to get into uh what is going on you know with uh, <laughs> in our stories and, and you are working on a Peter DeBoer story that you referenced earlier uh you got a chance to kind of catch up with him a little bit and uh, no not it was kind of a wild trip you know with with the change and you know kind of scrambling and everything there but they they got some time they got home a little bit and then uh, you got to kind of you know sit down and just kind of meet with him a little bit so uh, what can people look for in your story and what was you know kind of the takeaway from your conversation with Pete DeBoer? Yeah
3: I mean I think I tried to talk to him a little bit more about you know who Peter DeBoer is as opposed to kind of the hockey and the Systems and, and philosophy, you know, there, there's a little of that, but, you know, one of the things that that I think was interesting and, and people I'm sure have heard this is, you know, Peter Boer has a law degree and, and kind of how he uses that in terms of everyday life and in terms of coaching, uh, you get a lot more why from players nowadays. And, and, and basically as a coach, Peter DeBoer has to make kind of an argument for what he wants them to do. You can't just say, you know, he can't just say, I want you to do this like 25 years ago and, and have them do it. He, that, was, that was something that he mentioned. So it's kind of interesting to, to hear him speak about that and how he uses it. And then also, you know, there was something else that, that we talked about that uh, it's in remissions and it's been, and been that way for a long time, but, Peter DeBoer uh, suffered from Crohn's disease uh, when he was a player. Crohn's disease is uh, uh, kind of a bit of inflammation of the bowels. Uh, not the most pleasant thing to speak about, and things like that, obviously. But you know, it's it's something that can actually be life-threatening, uh, depending on the symptoms. And then uh, Peter DeBoer obviously overcame it. It's something like I said that's been in remission for him. But it but it kind of shaped who he was in a lot of ways, and and. How he approaches coaching and, and, as he said, kind of how he's got a little bit of, I think, a sympathetic ear um, for people in, in, in his job and in everyday life. So, you know, it, it's something that, that hopefully comes out well in the story, but, but a little bit of, of that and, and and kind of who he is, a little bit of the coaching, but but how he would sort of shape and what he's going to bring uh, sort of that outside perspective also to his old Knights going forward.
2: Have you seen much difference? And I think you know people. People are kind of interested in um, what the interactions are like a little bit. Have you Have you noticed like a difference between them and covering one from the other?
3: In terms of the coaches.
2: Yeah, from you know from I mean, to the Yeah,
3: I think they're both similar personalities in a lot of ways, and I think you know that was something that Ryan Reeves said that that has probably eased the transition a little bit that you don't have necessarily somebody, you know, coming in that, that's a, it's a contracting personality. I think to, to jar I think Peter Boris talked about, you know, non-negotiables and, and kind of just holding people accountable and, and things like that. That was something that jar Glant, you know, always earned the respect of his players for doing. And they always kind of knew, knew where he stood. But I think, you know, one of the differences, I think, you know, you just watch a practice and how much more involved and how, how much more vocal I think Peter DeBoer is, you know, in, in terms of the practice, what he wants to get across. And maybe that's just part of, you know, the early transition in, in the first few months here, him implementing his systems and, and, and wanting them to hear his voice. But, you know, he's really kind of detail-oriented. That, that was something that the players talked a lot about. And, and I think it shows in the practice it's a very snappy sharp you know high tempo practice they're always moving even if he's getting them to the whiteboard it's he's blowing that whistle and and here you know and those guys are skating over and and then boom right to the next drill and right into the next thing he's got his piece of paper with you know the drills that he wants done for that day and and all that sort of stuff a lot of the organization and and things like that, that he actually took from law school. And, and, and again, that's all kind of in the story. So I think that's just different. Maybe the little style, it's not necessarily better or worse. Or- all
2: right, so definitely look for that story coming out very soon from Dave Shane on Peter DeBoer and just kind of uh, who he is coming in uh, to take over the Golden Knights. Last thing, I, I mentioned Derek England a, a minute ago. Uh, I just want your thoughts on what his role might be going forward the rest of the season.
3: Clearly, Peter DeBoer came in, and that's one of the tough decisions that he's had to make was kind of, you know, basically saying, look, I'm going to scratch you. They obviously wanted to make a change, and I think it's something that I know when I asked him about it specifically, he kind of shuffled a little bit, and you could tell it was a hard decision for him. And, And Derek England, he understands, is somebody that, you know, has a lot of sentimental attachment in this community for living here for as long as he has, for you know the October 1 for the speech and and for everything that first year and, and and going forward and and he mentioned he's essentially kind of the de facto captain without wearing a C so he knows how hard it was but those are the tough decisions i think that you have to you know come in and and make when you're essentially in the winning business and and like i said this is a 25 game sprint here for them to to get to the playoffs and they have to play the players that they feel give them the best chance to win. And right now, he feels like Zach Whitecloud and gives them a better chance to win. And if that means that Derek England is a healthy scratch, then, you know, Peter DeBoer is willing to make those tough calls right now.
2: Well, there you go. Dave Shane, great stuff. As always, again, make sure you check out uh, that Peter DeBoer feature coming up uh, very soon in the Review Journal. Uh, sir, we appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of the day. Enjoy practice, as we said. This is Wednesday, so the Golden Knights are back home for practice before starting that homestand. So we thank you, sir, and we'll talk to you soon. Sounds
3: good. We'll talk to you uh, soon
2: as well. Yeah, there you go, Dave, Shane, Ben, Goats, awesome stuff. I am Adam Hill. We appreciate you guys listening. Thank you so much. Make sure you like, subscribe, share, do all those things wherever you find our podcast. Tell your friends as well uh, where to get the latest news from the Golden Knights and the Review Journal for the Golden Edge Podcast, which, again, is sponsored by SDN Sports Mobile, presented by Untucket. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you guys again real soon.